we want to consider the fact that the very good news of Jesus Christ infiltrates every single area of life. That the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ transforms and changes everything. And that should have an impact on our city, on our heart, on our communities, and everywhere in between, on our culture. And so today we're going to start at the big level, the macro level. We're going to look at the concept of the good news in the city. And when you get into your community groups and into your discipleship groups, uh, you'll watch uh, Dr. Tim Keller introduce uh, a passage in Jeremiah that he'll touch largely on. So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to do a bit of comparison. Most of us, if you've shown up in church today, Hong Kong is home for now. Whether it's a temporary home or this is your home and has been for generation after generation after generation, This is it. But if you're in church with me this morning, there's a good chance that when you go to bed at night, you do so in Hong Kong. So with that definition, we're going to say Hong Kong is home. And what I'd like us to do now is I'd like us to back up and I'd like us to consider the city we live in visually. Because what happens, just like we begin to so segment our life, we forget the life of the world around us here in this bustling metropolis. So we're going to watch a little bit of life here in Hong Kong, because Hong Kong...
that video because we may call Hong Kong home, but if there's one thing that's abundantly clear in that video is Hong Kong is a city that is full of energy. And yes, every time you hear somebody say it's busy, well, there is evidence that it's a busy city. And there is life flowing out of it in every direction. But what if we went down and we got street level? And we began to look into the eyes of those flocks of people in the crosswalks. And we began to talk with them. And we would find that that big Buddha on the top of the mountain in Lantau holds so little hope for so many. We would find that so many have made so much of their life about making millions and millions and millions of dollars. Hong Kong has more per capita millionaires than just about anywhere else in the world. Hong Kong has 8,000 plus skyscrapers of 15 stories or above, more than any other city in the world. Hong Kong has 8 million people nearly in an area that should be suited to 1 million, if that. Hong Kong knows how to squeeze life into a small space and get every single ounce of energy out of it. But in so doing... We have squeezed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, out of Hong Kong. We have made it so that if you work in a secular workplace, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus during work hours. We've made it so that everyone has to be equal except for Christians. Tolerance is good for everyone except those it's not for. We have made Hong Kong a city that pushes God off to the sides We've made Hong Kong a city where it is very convenient to say, I am a Christian. But to just as quickly say, well, I believe in Buddha, I believe in Muhammad, I believe in the Tao, and any other thing that might be con- con- convenient at that moment. That's called syncretism. That all roads would lead to the same God, and that's false. But that is a brief picture of the world we find ourselves in right now. And if we go back to last week, to what Pastor Dan showed us through the scriptures, look at what we remember. First, the gospel is powerful. The good news of Jesus Christ is as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. Right? Hopefully we believe that. I believe that. And I know it to be true. I've seen it evidenced in God's word as you saw last week. Secondly, we know the gospel changes lives. I pray that you are here today because Jesus has changed your life. I pray that you are not just sitting in that seat because you know you're supposed to come to church. If you're here for that reason, we're glad you're here, but our prayer is that God would so get a hold of your life that he would change everything in you. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. He changes everything. That commitment to discipleship, that decisive and complete commitment changes our lives forever. He transforms us, as the song we often sing, from the inside out. And the gospel isn't just for us. And this is what sometimes we have wrestled with. Because we have gotten comfortable in our nice, air-conditioned little church area. And we are so blessed to have this. We've had this just about five years now. And what a privilege to be able to have our own hall and meet together and worship together without threat of persecution. But people all over the world meet secretly for the sake of the gospel because they know that there is nothing greater than worshiping Jesus Christ. And so for us, 
somehow we may have lost sight of the grandeur of God and we've gotten comfortable and we've forgotten to live out the good news of Jesus Christ so that others may see him in us and give glory to God the Father who is in heaven. Well, we're not the first ones to wrestle with issues like these. And I don't want this to be a doom and gloom message. I want this to be a message of hope for what is coming. You see, when we look at Hong Kong, we notice some things. First, if you can see it, I know it's a sunny day, so our screens get washed out. But you see, Hong Kong is a port city. You see, Hong Kong is strategically located with Taiwan up there, Hainan down there, Philippines over here, uh, and, and China just uh, above us. And over the history of Hong Kong from the 1800s when it became a British colony to when it was returned to China in 1997, throughout this time it has grown in influence both economically through its port industry, through all of these things. Hong Kong is a significant city, not just in the region of Asia, but in the entire world. Money flows into this city from all over the world. If you buy something in America at Walmart, likely it was shipped through Hong Kong here, right? That's why there's all those Costco containers everywhere out there. Hong Kong is a strategically influential city that has influence on China, on the world beyond. And we get the privilege of living there. Some 2,000 years ago and beyond, there was another city that was oddly similar. The name of that city was Ephesus. If you look here on this map, you can find that where the book of Revelation was written uh, by John, the island of Patmos. And just over there, not so far off, in the Aegean Sea where it starts to connect with the Mediterranean Sea, you've got the port city of Ephesus. Well, briefly, what do we know about Ephesus? One, we know a book of our Bible is named after a letter written to the church in Ephesus. Okay, well, that tells us something. That letter was written roughly 60 AD, so the church started rather young, shortly after Jesus was killed and rose again. We also see that it is a port city that import-export was a major part of life in Ephesus. Whether the Persians ran the city, whether the Romans ran the city, or whether the Greeks uh, ruled the city, all of these people used Ephesus as a center of culture, diversity, and economics. Third, we also know Ephesus was a place of great wealth. It was a banking city. Much of the world's economy flowed through cities like Ephesus back in the day. From 400 BC all the way in to the New Testament time uh, to AD 50, 60 to AD 400 and beyond. Thirdly, fourthly, I've lost track. Ephesus was a scholarly city. It had a monumentally large library there where especially under the Greek influence they would sit around and reason together and talk about life. Finally, Ephesus was in every sense of the word a pagan city. In the city of Ephesus was a temple to the god Artemis. And this temple was glorious in nature. At one point it was considered one of the seven, or still is considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It has now collapsed all but one beam of it. But it was to be magnificent and a wonderful shrine to the goddess Artemis. And Ephesus was to be a city that was to protect that legacy. Can we relate to any of these things today? 
we have a giant Buddha sitting on a mountaintop that we, are to, that we look at as we come in. We have a city full of bankers and industry, full of shipping and trade and all of these things. Yet when we read the words of John given to him by God, listen to what they have to say about the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. And I'll read them to you and I'd like you to follow along. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, and you have not grown weary. Then he goes on. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. In some of the Bibles, I apologize, I accidentally put up, uh, I, I know normally we use the NIV in my, in my study, I use the ESV and I put that up instead. So in the NIV it says, you've forgotten your first love. The love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. It sounds so familiar to me to consider how Ephesus and Hong Kong are linked. Shortly after we moved to Hong Kong, it was just an exciting time uh, for a youth guy when a Christian bookstore opened up in the boat next door. It just go, man, I didn't have to go searching everywhere for Christian CDs and stuff. It was called Elam Christian Bookstore. And when they first opened in the Jusco boat, they sold this shirt that said, Hong Kong, Asia's Christian city. And at that time, I thought, wow, what a great thought. And I think I even bought Melissa the shirt. And it was a great thought. But as we look around, do we see a lot of evidence? We see a lot of people that might know who Jesus is. But are we not much more like this? where we've forgotten about the works we did at first. We've forgotten about what Jesus has taught us, that if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you will love one another. If you love me, you will make disciples of all nations. And we've, we've lost sight of that. And we've begun to love ourselves. And we've begun to be very comfortable with the head knowledge of knowing what's right and wrong. But when it comes to applying that to life in this city in which we live we begin to get a little awkward. We begin to get a little uncomfortable, fearing we might be rejected. So what can we first learn from this church in Ephesus? Oh, I forgot. forgot to read the whole passage. Yet this you have, and this is great. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow. Even though Ephesus, the church there in Ephesus, had forgotten their first love, Jesus invites them back. He says, repent. Get back to the work I've given you and come back to me. And I'll welcome you back. What do we see in Ephesus? Well, first, the church in Ephesus, uh, you read, they, they toiled hard. They worked hard. 
they weren't just sitting back all the time. This was a church that was seeking to be about God's work. But they also rejected false teachers. You see that in verse 2 and then again in 6 when they talk about the Nicolaitans who Jesus says, I hate. And in today's world, it is so easy to be trapped by the false teachings of things like the prosperity gospel or things like that all roads lead to the same God, that Jesus is not the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We've, we've seen the video that's gone viral all over the world that talks of how God just wants us to be happy, that that's his ultimate goal in life, and that is completely backward. God draws us to give him glory. Everything about a Christ follower's life should be about the glory of God. Acted through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has adopted us into his family through his shed blood. But there are false teachers today, just as there were then. But the church then, regardless of persecution, regardless of famine and struggles, and as you read through the book, the letter of Ephesians, you see that they didn't have it easy. They were wrestling with very real issues. They were learning how to live out their faith when the faith was so young and so new. They had to learn together. And as they did, they endured patiently. And all that was credited to them. them. And when we think about it, you know, in all reality, AIC is nine years old. We have a a spiritual mother in KTAC that is much older, about 78 years old now, I believe, roughly. But we as a church, as a full branch church, are are nine years old. And we're learning as we go. Have we made every right decision? No. But I pray that God would look at us and say they have endured and they are continuing to work hard and they will toil endlessly for my name's sake, not for their own. But then as you read, I pray that this will never be said about us. They'd forgotten their first love. What might that mean? What might that mean today? Well, think about it like this. When you're first introduced to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is exciting. You can't wait to tell everybody about him. You can't wait to let the world know Jesus has changed your life and that they need to come to Jesus just as you have. And that is a wonderful thing. And we should all have that energy. But over time, we get swallowed back up into many of the ways of the world. We get very comfortable acting just like the world. And we begin to keep Jesus in boxes, in our Sunday box, in our before work box, in whatever boxes we have, but we place him there. And we begin to let other areas of life come in. Words like tolerance. Ladies and gentlemen, God hates all sin. Whatever the trendy sin is today, he still hates it. And he is against sin. But he is for us loving that person and letting them know that God invites them into a real relationship with them. But they have to let him deal with their sin. The gospel is not complete if we don't address the issue of sin. And yet many churches today are afraid to deal with sin. We don't want to. We're uncomfortable. Well, most of us don't like to be told we're wrong. I get that. I am that way. But when we introduce them to the good news of Jesus Christ, 
we're not simply saying you're wrong, you're destined to eternity in hell. We're inviting him to a life that is so much better, a life that is for all eternity, and a life that has meaning, fulfillment, and purpose, both now and forevermore. And we're inviting a life of repentance, a life that says your past mistakes don't define you. The love of Jesus, the blood of Christ, he defines you and he has brought you into his own. So we're not in a position where we're just telling people how horrible they are. We're in a position where we're inviting people to be changed and transformed by the work and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a completely different message. But they'd forgotten their first love. Well, let's look a little bit at the history of the, uh, the church in Ephesus. You see, all the way back in Acts chapter 18, what was happening was the gospel was beginning to spread. Paul had already begun to talk about Ephesus. And after that, uh, a man, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He knew the word of God. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. He hadn't yet learned all that Jesus had taught, but what he had, he was passing on to others and the seeds were being planted in this city of Ephesus and God's work was being continued. Then a little further on down the story, and we'll come back to why Apollos was significant. On hearing this, those that were listening now, this is to Paul, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. The Holy Spirit got a hold of their lives and began to fill them and speak right there in their midst immediately, not later, right away. And as the church in Ephesus was starting, there were 12 in all. Think about that. The gospel is being spread and it's taking root in a small way. God uses a man like Apollos to begin planting the seeds. God uses tent makers like Priscilla and Aquila to lay groundwork there. God brings Paul in, who speaks first at the synagogue for three months and then spends over two years in a pagan setting preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Why? Because Paul was teaching everyone that all are invited to repent and believe on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and be welcomed into his family. What else do we hear? Men you know that from this business we have our wealth. You see, the gospel is submissive, subversive. It is also submissive for us. We give our lives to Jesus, but it's subversive. Not everyone is going to like it. And as much as we can say Ephesus was a city that was committed to its worship of Artemis, there was more to it than that. It was an economic factor. And this is what you can see here as the grumblings begin. Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. What was their business? Making idols. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, you get that? In almost all of Asia, 
This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Think about that verse and the power that's in it for a minute. One, in almost all of Asia, God using Paul has persuaded and turned away a great number of people. He hasn't turned them away. He's turned them toward Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he has let people know that these false gods are just that. They are fake. They are worthless. And there is one true God, and he is worthy of every area of our life. He gives our lives meaning and contentment. It's Paul in Philippians that says, whether I've had little or I've had much, I've learned to be content in all things. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And Paul went around Asia spreading the good news that Jesus Christ changes everything through what he has done. And we're invited into that great story. But economically, Paul's message was inconvenient. Paul was costing the idol makers money. And when we start costing people money, protests happen. And of course, a protest arose. 24,000 or more people got together in one theater and began to scream and holler and complain. And Paul wanted to go speak to them and the disciples that were there and his fellow believers that were there said, no, you cannot go in there. And he didn't and he had to withdraw. Because while he had spoken nothing but the truth, not all were ready to receive it. You see, from the very beginning, the church in Ephesus was going to have to work hard to be light in a city full of greed, full of darkness, and full of idolatry. If we are to be light in the city today, we're going to have to do the same. We're going to have to work hard. We're going to have to ask God to shave off anything in our lives that separate us from him. And we're going to say, Lord, make me a servant, humble and meek, and let me lift up those who are weak. Money was their God. Artemis was their God. Everything there was God, but the one true God. Then in Acts chapter 20, you hear a little bit more. You yourselves know how I lived among you. This is Paul speaking just to the elders of the church in Ephesus a little while longer. Among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials that happened to me throughout the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you where? In public And from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul. This is a man that knew persecution so well. He had been stoned and left for dead. He had had to crawl out of cities in a basket, out of a wall. He had been whipped. He had been beaten. He had been bitten by snakes. This guy was not enjoying life in the human standards. Yet he can say here, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Again, 
He's not going to people and telling them how wrong they are. He's going to people and introducing them to a life that's bigger, to a life that is really profitable. You want to talk about gain, talk about I have forsaken all for what I may be gain in Christ. And that was the message of Paul. And he was inviting all. He taught them. He showed them the way. His very life taught them the good news of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he was testifying both to Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, of repentance toward God in faith and belief in Jesus Christ. You want to live out the gospel. Let's start there and let's consider how the church grew in Ephesus. Its foundations were solid It was strong. And God used people like Paul, like Priscilla, Aquila. Timothy worked there, we read later on. Apollos was used mightily by God. And in all these cases, they all were pointing people back to the good news of Jesus Christ. So how did we get from there to when Jesus has to say, but you've forgotten your first love? How can we avoid the pitfalls, whatever they were, that moved the church in Ephesus from around 60 A.D. to around 95 A.D. to when they've forgotten their first love? That's only 30 years. My lifespan, 35 years. And in that lifespan, they had managed to forget their first love. So what can we learn and how can we grow and how can we protect ourselves and how can we be light in this city in which we find ourselves? First, you see it right there. Never forsake the teaching of God's word. Don't just show up at church and listen to whoever's up here speaking, but study it yourself. Know the word of God. And then follow the example of Paul. Look at what he writes in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. So when they heard, when Ephesus heard, they were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, when they heard the word, they responded to it. If you are hearing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life for the first time, if you are hearing today that he wants to come in, he wants to give you life for all eternity, that he wants to deal with your past, he wants to forgive you, and he wants to welcome you into a bigger life. If you're hearing all that for the first time today, follow the example of the early church in Ephesus. When they heard the good news of Jesus Christ, they believed on him, they repented, and they were saved. And for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, what does Paul do? I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Well, if we want to be a church in this city today, I think we can learn from the example of Paul as he writes the church in Ephesus. It is easy for us to nitpick everything that is wrong with church. I promise. I can do it. I know you can do it. And we can find many things at fault. But what if instead of doing that, we began to give thanks for how God is at work among his people? 
Yes, we will make mistakes. And if we do, help us be restored and move back to the center. If we move that lampstand, don't let us. But we can't get caught up in petty affairs, in gossip, in slander, in immorality. We can't let ourselves get caught up in those and so forgetting our first love. But instead, we rejoice at what God is doing and we tell those stories of how God is at work. Are we in the habit of doing that? If I got out and I stood around and with a microphone, which would terrify most of you in this room, so I'm not gonna. But I ask, could you tell me today one way you've seen a God at work in your life this week? Could you do it? Well, I can. On, was it Tuesday, we had a public holiday, Right? And I got the privilege of being just a little bit of a part of the Meet Me at the Cafe, the, the, the fellow, fellowship for the AFF ladies and their friends. And I saw God at work in so many ways. One, uh, it was just amazing to see these ladies not just having fun, but you know what? Some of them brought their employers to church. And that amazed me. They were being light and we were seeing God at work through that. I got to see a lady up here get everybody dancing and enjoying being together and praising and worshiping God. And they did so in unison, which I didn't join because I would have messed it up. But they were doing so great and they were serving one another out of love for one another. And I was so deeply moved by that because that's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. They were full of joy. They were bringing in people, their friends, their colleagues, their co-workers, their employers, and they were saying, have you met Jesus? And I love you, and I want to show you what he's like. That was a tremendous testimony to me. And so when Paul thought of Ephesians, or the Ephesian church, he was thinking of God at work and speaking about it. But to transform a city, you don't just do that. We also have to be a people of prayer, remembering you in my prayers. If we want the gospel to transform this city, one, I'm going to be honest, we have to find contentment in living where God has placed us. I know it is very easy to complain about all the different challenges of life in Hong Kong. I know that I am often guilty of that. But this is where God has brought each one of us for such a time as this. Can we be thankful? And can we invite him to use us in big or small ways for his glory and for his namesake? And can we begin praying for the revival of this city and not just praying that God would use other people to do it, but that he might use us? You see, all the way back, and you'll come to this when you get into your community group studies. Can you sense that I really want you to go deeper with this? I want you involved in your community groups and your discipleship groups. But you'll talk about this verse in Jeremiah 29. We need to be praying for the city, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. He's speaking to the Jews here. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Do we pray for the welfare of this city which God has placed us in? We are in a tumultuous time right now, ladies and gentlemen. Occupy Central, deoccupy Central. We're protesting everything right now. Our economy is fluctuating. China seemingly getting more and more unstable. People are predicting doom up north, and if there's doom up north, that can hurt us. 
and these protests, and now they're inviting students to skip class because we want more democracy, and I am not going to comment on one or the other. That's not the point. But we are in a tentative time where the ground is shaky. But I stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I will pray for this city, not that we will have universal suffrage or not that we will just all get along, but that this city will be light to the world around us. And I pray that this church will be light to the community in which we find ourselves and wherever God sends you. I'm not so concerned about geopolitics. I read a lot about them. But I know that Jesus Christ is the solid rock on which I stand and I'm much more concerned about letting people know he is with them and he will never leave them nor forsake them. Do we pray for our city? If not, today's the day and we will in just a few minutes. Second, You've heard us talk about this just a couple weeks ago when we were talking about thinking orange. And we know that we, the church, are called to be light. You read the verse, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I don't ever want the people of AIC to be hidden. Why? Because that's what God's word tells us. We are not to be hidden. We are to let our light so shine before men that the world sees Christ in us and gives glory to God the Father who is in heaven. That's the goal. That's the ambition. Well, how do we do that? We invite the Lord into all of our lives. We don't say, I'm going to keep all of this over here, but you can have this 50%. We don't say, what I look at on the internet is mine, but you can have everything else. What I do with my money is mine, but you can have everything else. What I do with my time is mine, but you can have me for an hour a week on Sunday. Or when Pastor Mike preaches longer, it's an hour and a half. We say, Lord, all of my life is yours. Please use me to shine your light and show people your glory. And in so doing, we say our lives are not our own, but they have a higher purpose. And again, we're invited into a full life that is vastly different than following laws for the sake of following laws. It's obeying God because he's given us the better way. And he's saying, I want you to live full of joy, full of contentment, full of hope. And I want you to do that for all eternity. We can light up the city in big and small ways. We can encourage people when they're down. And you can do it in the most unexpected times. Our family was taking a walk on the public holiday and a friend of mine that lives just above happened to drive by and stopped. And he said, hey, you got a second. And he's just, uh, their family's just had their third little boy and beautiful little kid. And he said, can we talk? And I said, sure, what about? And, and he, he said, well, I just, I need somebody to talk through some job issues. And that, that wasn't the time or the place, but he's sitting there in a parked car in the middle of the road. It's not a busy road. But in that moment, God gave me a chance to just listen. And then later on, follow up. WhatsApp is a wonderful thing. Men, you know, we don't like to talk on the phone, so WhatsApp is great. <laughs> but however it is, do we follow up when those invitations come? Or do we forget about it and hope somebody else will talk to them? Because you see, there are people out there that might ask you, do you really believe that Bible? And we might say, yeah, but then leave the conversation at that. 
If we are to be light in this world, we are to live out the good news of Jesus Christ. And that requires some things that the church in the past history has struggled with. And I want us to talk about this for just a minute. You see, if we're going to be the church that we're called to be, we're going to find a way to be with people. We're not just going to be off by ourselves. I know it's easier just to be with people you like. I know it's easier just to talk to those that are just like you. I am that way too. Or for some of you, it's just easier not to talk at all. But we have this hope of glory for all eternity blaring inside of us, right? Why can't we, with all enthusiasm, with all joy, and with all confidence in the Holy Spirit, give that away by finding ways to be with people and teaching people who Jesus is, not being afraid to tell them the right news about Jesus Christ, that he is the only Son of God that he came to pay the price for our sins, to redeem us of our guilt and give us life that is full and eternal. And he did that for the glory of God, not for our satisfaction. That's good news. Are we telling people? And then are we inviting people into our lives, even if those lives are messy? I have been so blessed to watch our church family continue to invest in people that might be difficult to love, to say the least. You've loved me, and I can be difficult to love. I know that. You have loved one another, and I want to commend you on that, and I want to say let's go do it more because when we get to the next one, we are called not only to light up the city, but we are called to love the city. And in so doing, as that verse in Jeremiah 29 says, we're praying for the renewal of the city. And when we think about it, we have to face some reality of where the church has lost the plot, where we have begun to forget our first love. Because religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Some call that being in the world, not of the world. But we need to be in the world because when we look at statistics of recent census data and and recent studies, 1.3 million people in a city of 8 million people roughly live below the poverty line. That's not counting illegal immigrants that have snuck in today alone. That's not counting refugees that are just seeking hope. There are people that are in an oppressive situation. We heard on Wednesday night that there are over 100,000 sex workers in Hong Kong. Most of them didn't choose to go into that. They were sold or bought into slavery and would love to know how to get out. There are people that live in spaces that are no bigger than this much space. And that's their home. Yet they're charged 6,000 Hong Kong dollars a month and don't know how they can pay for it. The poverty, the orphans, the widows, the oppressed are all around us. And it is not the government's job to find ways to help them. The church was called to look after the widows, the orphans, the least of these. And in so doing, give glory to God, the Father who is in heaven. You want to know how God feels about people that 
abuse the widows and the poor and the orphans, that abuse and oppress those that are least in their culture? Well, when you read through the Old Testament prophets time and again, what is judged most severely? Those that take advantage of those that are less fortunate than themselves. It's said in Isaiah. It's said in Jeremiah. It's said in Zechariah. It's said in Hosea. It is said in Micah, Malachi. Time and again, we read the heart of God for the oppressed, for the alien. Many of us are aliens in Hong Kong, are we not? But many of us are also quite blessed with what God has given us and how he's provided for us. There are many aliens in this city that have far less than us. How can we help them? How can we invite them into a world that is full of the hope and the justice and the love of Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior? We walk with them. We make time for them. And we let the gospel change their lives. Hong Kong is a strategic city just as Ephesus was. Hong Kong is a city that could change the world for the glory of God. But to so do so, we've got to know his word. We've got to be men and women of prayer. We've got to be men and women that live in the light and don't hide that light. And we have to love this place that God has called us to. Let's pray together. Lord, It is my prayer today that you would renew this city of Hong Kong, that you would renew us right here at AIC. I confess to you that in some ways we've forgotten our first love, that we have begun to think internally more than we've thought externally. Please forgive us for that. Lord, use everything we have to draw people unto yourself. Lord, make us servants. Make us humble and make us meek. Lord, let us not fight for our own agendas, but fight for you. That we can say, as Paul said, I never once was ashamed to proclaim your glory. For we are not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, your gospel can change this city. Would you use us? Would your Holy Spirit revive us and spread among the people of Hong Kong? In your name I pray, amen.